recording. There we go. And basically, we are here doing our first book talk. So on Last Child in the Woods, and as you can see in front of you, there's a screen where everybody can have access to this Google Doc, and they can add things as they go along. I tried my best. I did get up to chapter five. Um, we were just talking. Nicole Truitt's here with me as well at uh, Every Fiber, and we were talking about how you could make the whole uh, document be just about chapter one. So it just it's just what struck you and what stuck out to you. So I'm curious um, about your first impressions. So um, Nicole, I'm going to ask you here, like, what were your first impressions of the book at all? Or and if you want, yeah, you can sit right here and we can hear you. I think a little bit. There's a couple of people starting to come into the coffee house, so I'm trying to make it so that we can all hear each other. And yep. Cool. So let's see if I can do this. Oh. And I, there's Nicole. So Nicole, what do Nicole. you think? Hey, first impressions of the book? Um, I really, it, it's disturbing to me. It feels, um, it, it feels dismaying that this is the situation. It's not really something that we didn't know maybe, but, um, you know, hearing it put in words is, is just discouraging. And I think that it, um, I don't think that it's going to get, unfortunately, the attention that it deserves. Like, I think that we're going to talk about it here today and we're going to get all fired up and say, we need to do something about it. But, you know, 8 billion people aren't reading it and getting fired up about it. And so that's a little mm. bit dismaying to me. Like, I would, mm. I would love to see it have more uh, attention. Mm. I think that it's important. I just wish that I got more attention. Sure. What do you guys think on your end, Cindy? And well, I... Uh... It really hit home. This book hit home with me. My absolute sanctuary as a child uh, was the woods in my backyard. And I would prefer that to watching TV just incredibly. I mean, I spent hours in the woods after school every day. Yep. Um, I, I, um, so I really connect to that, that point. And I think it really, especially... Uh, when I was reading later on in the chapter that there is a link between emotional health and mental health and being in nature. And that's probably why I wasn't on some kind of psychotropic drug when I was a kid, honestly. <laughs> and of course we didn't have the technology that we have now, um, which Technology is terrific, but it also that idea that you have, uh, what was the, I don't even remember what the syndrome was, where there's some kind of addiction to technology. And I find myself being that way, like I, with news stories and with websites and all, all that kind of stuff and Facebook. And to me, it was, I -A. It, it, I -A. to me, it was a reflection on, okay, what can I do to help myself? And what can I do to help others, especially children, to experience something that they just don't experience anymore? It was disheartening where um, it was mentioned that there were so many regulations against children uh, in the third frontier, against children really naturally playing and, and, and being creative in nature. And uh, while I do know that it's disheartening, I also see and I believe that there's always an up and there's always a down. And once we recognize an issue, 
this may be, we may be at the beginning of that recognition, uh, recognition, but I, I feel like, I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful that because this is something that maybe just a few are, are recognizing the importance of it, that it will eventually become more mainstream. Yeah. Uh, Dave, did you have anything you wanted to add? Or? Yeah, pretty much felt the same way that Cindy said. I mean, I was, I was fortunate as a, as a child to spend some time growing up on a farm and, you know, exploring the, uh, the woods on the edge and the pastures and playing in the barn and, um, you know, and I carried that forward. And, and I think that, I think our son was actually able to gain some, uh, not, not quite, but we, what, what, what we did as, you know, baby boomers, I guess they mentioned in there, but, you know, we, we took him camping a lot and, you know, but we do see the disconnect, um, now with, with even him and, and are certainly concerned about, you know, the next generation and, and so many, so many youth um, not having anywhere to go or, or really interests because of the focus of. And the regulations that forbid it. I mean, you know, we're, we live in a stressful time and parents are stressed and they're, they're at their wits end and, you know, technology does happen to be a babysitter and it, you know, it unfortunately prevents conversation and relationship building and all of those things. But as a teacher, I was wondering, well, what could I do just based on, what could I do just based on the chapters that I've read? And I wondered what you would think about the idea of incorporating into my classroom decor, pictures of nature, just because there was that correlation with whether it was, I think it was in prisons and some other location where where people who could see nature or even just pictures of nature, they found them to be more stable, I suppose, and more successful in, in their task, whatever that would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that idea of incorporating the classroom, you know, in nature in the classroom. I almost have this idea of like mimicking what the uh, canopy looks like with putting sheets up real high. So you see like the shade, and then having music that's just nature sounds going, you know, the whole time in the room and having pictures of trees and actually having seeds and saplings and stuff growing by the windows. And even when I was in school a long time ago before, I mean, when I first started, you know, there was always a discouragement against having trees and things growing in a classroom because of allergies or because it would affect other people adversely or whatever. And then it was always the great teachers that are my heroes are like, well, screw it, fire me. I'm going to put them in. Like, like it or not. And obviously they never got fired. And those people had been there for like 20 some years. And they're like, all right, yeah, whatever. I'm putting them in my room. So if you don't like it, just don't come in my room. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But, um, I remember planting the orange seed in the Dixie cup as a kid, you know, and <laughs> never turned into an orange tree but you'd always see it sprout that was yeah i was talking to this one lady from the nanakoke uh river alliance water alliance and she was telling me watershed alliance and she was telling me how she gets up in the morning and she just throws seeds everywhere in her yard and drives her neighbors crazy because they don't know what's growing but she does it every day and then everybody's like where's all this stuff coming from it's pretty funny I, I guess there's a way of like um, adversely, not adversely, but like 
spontaneously making it happen somehow. It's pretty funny. So uh, welcome, Elaine. Yeah, we want to welcome you too. Yeah, we're just talking about our first impressions of the book. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so uh, you can jump in anytime. I think Nicole wanted to say something. I did. I just wanted to comment about the when you were talking about uh, nature and the classroom and, and, and incorporating that in, um, a couple of years ago, I actually wrote a grant for the college to um, set up an outdoor classroom. And one of the things that I use, I don't know if you can see this, but there's a book here called The Nature Fix um, by Florence Williams. And she does some really excellent research on um, the, the importance of nature on education and learning um, in children. And she talks about, uh, you know, just even being able to see out a window and see a tree while you're taking a test uh, correlates to increased test scores. So it's really incredible, like the value that that has. Um, and so I cited a lot of that research when I wrote the grant. It just might be something that you're interested in if you want to learn more about it. Um, and it isn't specifically education. Like, I think she does a few chapters on that, but it covers a lot of other stuff as well. But it's it's a very similar book to kind of what we're covering now. Could you uh, repeat the name of the author, please? Florence something. Florence Williams. Williams. Okay. I'm going to put it in here too, just so we have it. Thanks. Cool. The Nature Fix, Florence Williams. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Elaine, did you have anything you wanted to add about your first impressions of the book at all or anything? Well, no, when reading the book, the one thing that not that kept coming to mind, but I don't think it's doable in the classrooms unless you have a video is, first of all, I had a hard time relating to the book. I understood what it was saying and I agree with it, but because I grew up in a different um, environment, because where I grew up in New England, I had woods all over the place. Mm -hmm. But um, if you remember, and I haven't watched it for a long time, oh, gosh, so Sunday morning, the last minute of the show was focused on a on nature. And it was just the last minute, and there was no talking at all. It was just the birds chirping, on, and they would focus on one thing. And I thought, geez, at the... You know, at the end of a class, wouldn't that be nice for the calming effect and everything that goes with it and the appreciation? Because they did it this way, the viewer was immersed in the nature that was around there. And sometimes it was something small, like focusing on a um, butterfly that was just going from um, flower to flower. And other times it might have been focusing on the wind. And that was something because one of the things in moving down here is we have so much land, but very little access to it, you know, because um, you have small state, um, state parks, which are really nice to take advantage of between um, the trip state park trap. I mean, um, it's beautiful but it's um, everything else is just wide open spaces. Yeah, I agree. Um, I keep on thinking, I keep on thinking of like the different organizations that people in our own community still don't know about. I can't even tell you how many people have never heard of Chapel Branch. They've never heard of the Nanakook River Watershed Conservancy. Um, I think another part that's kind of distressing to me is that no matter how much legislation, no much uh, advocacy that we do, it's still the same people all the time. 
Um, you know, the numbers keep on growing. This, I think we're looking at almost 2,200 people that have visited Chapel Branch in August. And yet there's still no funding. You know, like it's like scrambling every cent of your day trying to find funding for the basic projects just to take care of that. It seems weird because if there's that many people going out, <laughs> you would think that wouldn't be such an issue. You know, and that's just one little microcosm view of it. But it's a bigger picture is there should be a lot more people um, teaching and state tests don't allow for that kind of education. You know, they don't really want you to have that type of education. They want to know that you're going to be a great test taker. You're going to score numerous score, high scores on the state test. And as long as you get that SAT, you're going to be great. And you take all the elements of really what, why I grew up with in the woods out of that. And that's a shame, you know. I think that they talk about, he talks about this in, uh, I don't know, three or four, maybe he says, follow the money. He says, there's mm -hmm. no, you know, people on a bike or on a path are not using Wi-Fi. They're not spending money. They're not buying gas. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to consider because we do, our society does tend to um, prioritize, you know, like purchasing um, over, mm -hmm. over not. Yeah, it's a good point. So and that was the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I say the other thing that's a struggle is because children especially um, are growing up with this technology and are so focused on it. And this technology is designed for instant gratification. So it's almost becomes addictive. Mm -hmm. So you have to fight against that to get um, children especially to go out into the, not necessarily leave in the woods, go out into your backyard. You know, mm -hmm. and to observe things. But um, one of the things that happens with it, and I know they talk about it in the um, book as well, is you get this humanitarian disconnect and you don't empathize or you don't have this, you know, that whole connecting experience. Technology doesn't do that to you, with you. And that is um, one of the things that's fighting because technology is built to pull you into it and not let go. And that's, that's a tough, that's a tough thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and Elaine, I'd like to piggyback on what you said. Um, I, what I noted in the, in the book was that um, technology has resulted in not only children being inside, but parents being inside. And so the community diminishes when parents were outside and their children were outside, they're talking to their neighbors. Right. I don't, Dave and I don't know a lot of our neighbors that are around us. We, re we really don't. And um, we're outside often, um, but it's that, that idea where technology kind of takes your complete attention and you don't, you lose that social element in the community. Mm -hmm. we, the, we had this uh, piece of technology that we used over the summer when we were reading, uh, like when we were at a follow-up to like when we went to Trap Pond, different places, and it was funny. Um, it's a little thing called Kumo Space. It's kind of like this, it's Zoom. Only what happens is you go into a room, custom-made room. And so we made a room that was all nature, different trees and shrubs. And if you move your cursor near the beach, you hear the waves coming in. If you move it over to the fountain, you hear the water going. If you look into the fountain, you can see fish going and stuff like that. And it's funny because the kids are like, oh, while we're in here, can I hang out so I can hear the water going behind me, you know? And it was just funny um, how you take technology 
I think you have to be creative, but I think there's even more opportunity now to take technology and make it tied to environment. But I think it's just people choosing to do that or thinking outside of the box to be able to do that. I think that would be nice to see a movement to kind of marry the two and saying like, look, technology and nature are kind of like live by side by side, but I don't think one can live without the other. And you realize how much they can impact each other. You know, I mean, they can obviously live without each other, but with so much technology, it would be interesting to see how, how other people are able to connect those two and get still people interested, even to kind of like survive among the technology and still value the environment around them. But yeah, it concerns me going through Sussex County and Delaware because I see all the fields. I saw maybe eight more yesterday that are for sale or that are going up and they're building a ton of townhouses. And uh, yeah, so take pictures of the cornfields while you can because I feel like they're not going to be that much longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were noticing the other day, we, we, we actually went down down towards Nanticoke and you know, there used to be so many places that you could just go down by the river and now everything has signs of no trespassing, you know. Uh, um, it, uh, yeah. You know, everybody's buying everything. Yeah. I, mean, I know that's just natural progression, I suppose, but it is, it gets sure. more and more difficult to find a place to go. Yep. I yeah. kind of appreciate the groups that are able to get land and put it in perpetuity so that you can't necessarily build on it. And so you can't admire the buildings, you can admire the environment that it started with, you know, and I think that's important. And I hope that, I mean, I know there's still a lot of that land in Delaware, but it just feels like there's not when you see so much being developed at the same time, you know? So luckily there is a lot of that, but it just feels like there's not much left. You know I mean, that was the one thing I kept on reading over and I was shocked. I didn't realize that there was like housing authority roles that you can't build a fort in your backyard or you're fined or you have to take it down. And that cracks me up. I mean, like in the wrong way. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's I, I do a lot of work with students. We cover, um, in my critical thinking class, we cover adventure play, which is like adventure playgrounds where students are, or kids are out, you know, like hammering stuff and li lighting things on fire and getting <laughs> wet in the water. And, you know what I mean? And it's such, um, it is such a, a juxtaposition against our, our current like liability focused culture where you can't do anything because somebody might get hurt and somebody might sue. So we have to tell everybody they can't do any of it. Um, and, you know, we have parents who like, who's, you know, get arrested because they let their kids play at a park across the street without them. You know, it's, it's just, uh, you, I think that we are heading down this path and, you know, we we're kind of looking over going, you know, we should have taken that path over there. <laughs> um, and it's just hard. It's hard yeah. to, you know, to shift and to make that, that change. You kind of, once you get going, you know, like, I feel like we've been on this path for quite a while and it's hard to, to, yeah. to change it. And it's, it's looking at hindsight always being the 2020, but when you get back and you're talking about the disappearing farmlands, because that's what is so beautiful down here that you have these just lush fields. But I know, cause I live at Heritage Shores and even I, when I come down 13 now and I look and all I see is the spread of suburban squall because we're putting up all of these hundreds of houses and they're all so tightly close together. And there's, it's just, and I, I look at this and I say in 20 years, this community 
is going to be disappointed that this was this happened with all of these houses coming in and and so tightly packed and uh it's 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 too bad but there's no like overarching or global guidance right like each individual person who owns that land is making the decision that i you know like i can't walk away from the money i'm going to sell oh, to a developer and and they think that their decision is singular to themselves like i'm doing this i'm not affecting everybody i'm not selling off all of sussex county yeah. i'm just selling my land but everybody yeah. is making that decision yeah. and so it's hard to like, how do you regulate that? How do you stop it? How do you reverse that trend? It's really hard to yeah. work on both a global and a granular scale kind of at the same time. Now, one of the things I've, I've known have done in other communities, and it would be, I don't know if it exists here, but it's something that could be started, is that when builders come in, part of the approval process has to be they have to donate green space. So if they're gonna put something in, and that green space doesn't necessarily have to be in the middle of the community, but some in the community they're building, but somewhere back to the town, they have to give green space back for public use. And um, that would take a, and I know there's a um, land conservative, well, obviously you folks work on it, that that is a way to be able to maybe affect a change to say, here's one of these things we want to put in place. So if I'm going to come in and put in, you know, regardless of, I imagine it goes on some equation, depending on the space you are going to develop, you have to do a certain percentage um, of green space somewhere. And that would be maybe one way to be able to help, if not curb it, at least give back something. That would certainly be a... And I, I think this is cool too to like pose these questions to students and have them find out as part of a research project. I mean, like it would be cool instead of writing a research paper, but finding out research like this that will impact your community. Mm -hmm. And that could take the place of what you would do as far as just a research paper on somebody. And maybe instead of doing a research paper on somebody, maybe doing research on your own community. But I think there's a lot of ways that I like that idea, you know, and like, I'd want to know, like, has that ever been proposed before? How do we go about finding out if that's been something that's been um, pitched in Delaware or what other states are doing that and what are the effects or like, there's a lot of really cool out branches of that that could probably affect a lot of different disciplines. So, I mean, I just, in my head, I'm thinking, got my educator hat on, you know, just thinking about how you can bind the outside with the inside, but it'd be nice to be able to take some of these opportunities and really I don't see the uh, generations that are protecting the environment getting any younger. Uh, to me, it's just like getting older generations that are protecting it. And I see the numbers as far as young individuals coming together in those, you know, organizations that do that, not very, not just scarce, you know, and that's. I think that, I think that might be linked to our, our separation of society. I mean, and community based on tech, I mean, technology and parts has to do with that when you think about churches um you know they're they're mainly the older people and and not young people participating and it's not ne not necessarily to bring religion in but the idea that there's a social community social construct that is diminished so much um because the direction that we're heading where it's all about the money it's all about the money and uh, so, and the, and the individual and not the community.
I heard a and... term. No, I heard a term the other day for the first time, and I actually liked it, but it relates to what you're talking about. It they called it hyper individualism, and that's where you know I'm only looking at let the other guy worry about himself. I've got mine, and I'm only looking out for myself. One of the things I was thinking, I was surprised the book didn't touch on um, the climate change and how that affects nature. Because one of the problems, obviously, is spending the time outdoors when it's, a, you know, it's 96, but feels like 104. Um, but if it, you can tap into the kids' passions for climate change, because that's that they're going to live it. We're not, you know. I uh, keep saying I'll take in the exit ramp before it gets so you know so bad. <laughs> but the the kids the kids are a couple being is that I think sometimes it's sort of the issue of the day and young kids get into that. But how does managing the environment, the natural environment, help fight climate change? And um, they do mention in the book of about the plants that their root system actually eats the nitrogen and recirculates under the earth. Um, things like that, that kids could get involved in either in planting or maybe some things if for disciplinary action, they've got to go out into the, instead of spending time either in school in a study hall after school, I don't know how punishment happens uh, yet, but they have to go back and give to the community as part of that and that being in the um, out in the nature. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, all the things that everybody's saying is just uh, seems like it's a different perspective of how you look at things, mm -hmm. like in the classroom, but also out of the classroom. I and mean, there's so many kids in the Upper Brown program this morning, I mean, this summer when we were talking and one of the weeks was focused on community. <laughs> and more than half of the kids said that they never leave their house. I'm like, they don't know who their neighbors are. Their neighbors don't talk to them and they just don't leave their house. And that's maybe been amplified and stressed even more, obviously, probably since the pandemic. But a lot of the kids are okay with that. And their world is everything that's on that screen in front of them. Maybe partially because that's the way it's been made, their schedule with school. So now they're into that regiment so much that it's be interesting, not interesting. I think it's gonna be a difficult transition to reverse yeah. that, you know, even with some elements of what we are used to last year still being with us, but yet changing what that whole routine, you know, there's a lot of difficulty, you know, in there. And I just think in the back of my mind, there's no more prime opportunity now to introduce the environment than now, just because it offers something that maybe they've never focused on before. And I think it's very easily to slide it in there and have it be somewhat of a refresher refreshing to them uh, opposed to the same routine that they're just like, yeah, I know the drill and go do this. And I know this distance apart. And I mean, there's some things that are always going to stick in their head because they're like, Oh, we've been doing this for a year and a half, but I still think there's opportunities to uh, sneak in their elements of the environment and looking at things differently the way they're, you know, than they have before. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the hopeful part of, you know, uh, of what I'm reading. And that's why I kind of like, I felt when I was reading the book, boom from the very beginning it was like just not attacking you but you're like put it in, all this is put in front of you right away it wasn't like kind of leading up to it and i think in the back of my mind as well 
I was thinking that's the emergence of how important and how we can't wait anymore. And this has been on the back burner already long enough, you know, and I just, I sensed the urgency just because his book seemed to just go there right away. But yeah. I have two teenage boys. So I have a firsthand look at, I mean, and they're both gamers. They have, we have more computers in our house than we have people. Like, it, you know, we, it, it, technology rules, you know, like I can't drag them off of the computer. My, uh, my older son was so, has so much anxiety that he opted not to go back to in-person school last year. When he had the choice, he decided to stay remote the whole time because it just made him feel safer and, and more comfortable. He also has some health stuff, but, um, so I'm really like aware of the need. Um, and I feel like I do better than most, but reading this book made me feel like I wasn't doing even a fraction of what I should have been doing with them all along. You know what I mean? Like I, it just made me want to do more or to feel like we all needed to be doing more. And it made me question what else can I do? Like, what are some, what are some ways that we can start to have an impact and shift the thinking and, and change the trends. Um, and I don't know if this is relevant or not, but I feel like, you know, we have an opportunity through like the, the NRWC or whatever other groups we might be involved in to just find ways to introduce more people into these areas, you know, like I used to go on nature walks with my kids when they were like toddlers and like little kids. And we would take like a Ziploc bag and we would go walking and just in the neighborhood, not even out at like the trailer. And we would just go walking in the neighborhood and I would let them stop and pick up anything they were interested in. A pine cone, a funny shaped leaf, a piece of stone. I mean, sometimes it was like garbage, <laughs> you know, but like <laughs> they were interested in it. And I just thought like, I could totally see a group of like, you know, like the library does like the mommy and me classes and stuff. Like I can see that out at Chapel Branch, everybody walking down the trail with, you know, the little kids with a Ziploc bag, picking up, you know, pine needles and, and pieces of bark. And I don't know. I just, I feel like we need to have more, a more concerted effort to get people interested, to get kids interested at a younger age, because then that influences how they feel as they get older and the pull of technology is greater. Mm -hmm. That was kind of long-winded and I don't know if it really went anywhere useful, but. No, that's cool though. That's a lot of what I was thinking as I was listening. It reminds me too, when I was in Mexico, we had a program called Outward Bound and they will take you on treks. And so most of the students that were at the American school, they're really like, wow, their families are like owners of Coca-Cola or Pan America or, you know, like big time corporations. I mean, and they get flown or driven to the school. And so when they go away on vacation, they stay in the Hilton or whatever. And so the goal was when you, you're dropped in the middle of like the East coast of Mexico and there's nothing around except for lakes and trails. And for a week, we would have to go from homestead to homestead and walk like maybe seven or eight miles to the next homestead set up and we'd sleep on concrete at night and the foundation and like first three nights were just like couldn't even believe it you know the kids were like some were crying you know because they're like this is just this is ridiculous and you know by the end of the week everybody was like this is the best thing i've ever done you know it took all that time of just them walking seeing trout farms and just like oh, things that they hear about but have never been seeing and seeing nature and then like it just switched but it took so much 
like time. It didn't, it wasn't instant gratification. It took about two or three days and then all of a sudden they started to transform. And I mean, yeah, it's just interesting. You know, you do, you would have a canvas. I remember one specific thing I had a canvas and they were sitting in front of a lake and there was six different groups. They had different bandanas on or yellow group, red group, blue group, whatever. And everybody had a big canvas and they had to paint the picture they saw with their noses, you know, and had their hands tied behind their back and they're painting. But the thing is, it was just the coolest picture to see them all in the backdrop was this huge lake and woods and you can never see anything except that. And that was the backdrop. You know, and I'm like, how many kids actually really ever experienced that? And I think those kids still remember that experience as a freshman, opposed to what was that thing we did in economics, you know, in class? Because I mean, like even in economics or math or English, I always found even as a teacher, I was bored out of my mind if I didn't get out of that classroom. So, I mean, if the classroom or out of the classroom experience wasn't part of what I was teaching that day, I was never going to remember it. If I was like that as a teacher, I was like, what they must be thinking as a student? But I mean, the environment is, uh, I don't know. I think that's just like key uh, to open the doors of like every discipline, math, science, everything. And I think it's just one of the most underused elements. I mean, and it, you know, to me, it's like a no brainer. It benefits like, all of us, but also benefits the person that's going through those experiences. So I just really like ever since those kind of experiences I've had, I've always been like a big advocate of like project-based learning, like take the solids that come out of textbook, but how you take everything out of textbook and then how do you actually make it implemented so that it actually becomes a project that they like get interactive with. Mm -hmm. I just, I, that was always for me. And I know there's different type of learners, but for me as a learner and as a student, I would have been, I, would, I didn't handle just getting notes all day and trying to find the best way to putting them in a notebook and writing them the way that I would remember them. <sighs> I think yeah. that that falls prey to the same kind of thinking that the forts in the backyard go because our school system has also gotten more and more regimented and there's more focus on, you know, test scores and getting this done and funding, like who's going to pay for the bus and what about the liability of somebody spraining their ankle and, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, I just think that it's like a huge trend because if you look at other countries, if you look at like Japan or Sweden, like they prioritize outdoor time and they set aside government funding and they have these big organizations and, and associations that, um, it becomes, it, that becomes a monetized, you know, there are parks where people pay to be a membership to the park so that they can go spend their time out in nature. Um, there's like forest bathing is like a thing, you know, I mean, there are other countries that are doing a much better job than we are of systemically prioritizing uh, nature and outdoor time. Um, and I, I wish that we could look at them as a, a guide to how maybe we could make some changes. Now, one of the things with the conversation gave me an idea though, is this would be a, a student project. If have students within the community um, collect pictures of before, when nature was on its own before and after, go to the idea of, again, looking at the squall that Heritage Shores is becoming. Um, if you look at it and you say, okay, here's what the picture before, here's what it is now. Go into part and uh, be surprised if some of Trap um, Pond hasn't been taken for development, whether it's for business or even additional farmland. 
here's what it was before, here's where it is now. And I know I've seen them as far as um, ponds go, because the other thing is, and I'm going to say this wrong because I do it every time, mm. these ponds we get in the spring that don't last long, it begins with a V, and you get the salamanders. Even before, you know, this is what it looked like in the, um, you know, the beginning of the spring, here it is now. Just that before and after comparison, maybe that would bring the impact home. Um, because unless you we look to the future through the children, this is just gonna continue and build. And even when you have this virtual world and you can put the glasses on, they can be in the middle of the Grand Canyon walking around, but they don't have the smell and the touch. They have the sight part of it, but not, the, not that whole physical being there, which is the same thing they talk about in the book, the thing that makes it real, that tangible. So that was just another thought. Yeah. They go in their own communities and even go um, to the library and look at um, past pictures and then take those pictures and say, okay, find out where this is now and have them do a sort of like a scavenger hunt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to look for this one thing in the picture that didn't change and that'll then you'll find it and you can start doing that comparison. Yeah, I, I like that. Welcome, Lynn. How are you? Good, good. I don't know if I'm on mute or, or not. I'm no, using the we phone. Can hear you. You're good. <laughs> no, you can hear. We can hear you good. I'm gonna okay. give me a, give me one second. I'm gonna pause this for a minute. Um, on the, we were just basically talking about how um, options of how to get students and individuals, not just students, but more involved and interested in the environment. And have it not be such a well, it's technology or environment you have to choose, or you know, all the limitations that are coming with just not getting involved with the environment. So, um, and what I'm just curious, Lynn, what did you think? I know you had read this before, so what were your impressions of like this book? Um, it, it's one of those books that you read that sticks with you for a lifetime. Um, and for me, when I read it, it it sort of brought into focus why I have the relationship with nature that I do. Um, I mean, I had two sets of grandparents that we would visit and, you know, they would just be go outside. We don't want to see you till dinner time. And, <laughs> and, and, and one of those sets was up in, in uh, just outside of Cape May, New Jersey. And us kids would go out into the middle of the Delaware Bay and you learned real quick when the tide changed just how little you were and how fast you had to be. And I think the, it helped me to be able to articulate it because the one thing that one of the big things that you learn when you're a kid growing up outside is you learn a sense of humility. You learn a great sense of respect because you know you're not the most powerful thing around. <laughs> you know you're not the biggest fish in the sea. Um, you know, and we had another, another set of grandparents that, that had a place down on the Elk River. And, and we were outside all the time. And there's, this helped me bring to focus all of those lessons that were learned from climbing those trees and building those tree forts and, 
you know, if we if we tell our kids they can't do that because they might get hurt, we are really shortchanging our kids because that's how we learned. So, yeah. So it, this this book was very impactful to me. It 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 again clarified things and helped me put things in perspective, and it helped me to be a better educator when I'm doing small groups. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of somebody who mentioned about how it mentions how it builds empathy as well. And so all the qualities that you were bringing up about how it brings humility. Um, I do think there's a lack of empathy in people, maybe towards animals, towards other people, and just towards the environment itself. And that affects so much, whether it's from recycling to being even aware of what happens when the tide comes in versus just sitting on a beach and tanning and seeing it. Versus the whole circle of like what happens with the different types of animals that are in pools. Did you even know that? Or like they don't even, their mind doesn't even go there to think about that. Right. So, you yeah. know, when, when you go out barefooted into, into the middle of the Delaware Bay, when the tide's out, my frame of reference is, you know, like I'm not going to throw plastic out here and I'm not going to throw tin cans out here because I know if somebody goes out there, they're going to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, these kids like, okay, so I'll just put it out there. I'm working in Meadow Bridge right now. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that stuck out at me, my pet peeve is the littering. Mm-hmm. And they just don't have a frame of reference. They don't understand. They don't, I mean, they have very young parents and the parents are throwing the trash down and you know, when I say something about it, they're like, <laughs> it's a common thing here. And I'm like, no, that's not acceptable to me. We have to teach why that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I just even do in road cleanup. Oh, my gosh. I can't even say. I can't even right, say. Right, right, right. How upset I would get. You we just walk in. Adopt a highway. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Bags and bags yeah. full of trash. Yeah. And four days yeah. later, it's like. How does that much garbage get put back on the road in four days that looks like it takes 20 people to have done it? I mean, I, it amazes me. I live right, right on Sign Highway, and I have to tell you, we pick up so much garbage that people just walk by and just throw in the yard. Like, a, a, anything you can imagine. Fast it, food containers, liquor bottles, it's ridiculous. Yes, I have, my, my house in town is the one on the corner next to Old Tri-State Roofing. Mm-hmm. And it's all organic. It's all flowers. Many of you have been past there. Um, I try to keep it so that it is a nice little breath of, wow, look at that. And recently, again, I mean, it goes in cycles, but I'm like, why would, how could somebody not see how pretty this is and throw all this crap up here? Mm-hmm. Somebody changed their brakes and put the old brake pads in the garden I mean, there's whiskey bottles. Somebody emptied their freaking ashtray in the side yard. Do you know it must take it, it must take 350 years for a damn cigarette filter to decompose because yeah. they're just ah. yeah. Surprise me. Yeah. I can remember I was in fifth grade on the very first Earth Day. So um I can remember I went to Medill Elementary and Wilmer Eshu Middle School on Kirkwood Highway. And the front field that's now 
a certified meadow habitat. <laughs> we were out there picking up trash and we learned and we remembered how much trash we picked up and we know why it's important. And shame on us that there's a generation now that doesn't know that. Yeah. You know, I don't know why we were afraid the boogeyman was going to take them or they were going to get their finger cut or something, but they don't know that. And you only learn it by, by watching and doing. So I have to say, like, I take my kids volunteering with me all the time. And when I do the FFA adopt a highway cleanup, they aren't allowed to come because you have to be 18. And it makes me sad because I feel like they, they should have the opportunity to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the biggest things I learned too, that I took with me were having the opportunities to be able to discover that kind of stuff with a group. I mean, we used to, uh, when I used to volunteer the Baltimore aquarium, they have cleanups like at Fort McHenry and around the Harbor there. And the things that stick with me still today, like I look really, I hate styrofoam you know, when I go to fast food restaurants, but the, the main reason that I hate it is when I was picking it up, you know, when I was younger at these different groups and when I was digging down maybe seven, eight inches, there was more styrofoam under the dirt and it never went away. I mean, stuff that you couldn't see on the surface and then you dig and there it is. And just that simple fact of that uh, memory. <laughs> and then just when I go to, I'm more conscious of it now based on right. where my habits and things. But I think that those experiences, if they're meaningful, they'll stick with you in various ways, years they, later, you know? They absolutely do. And, yeah. you know, my, my role out on the west side of town is as a parent specialist. And I can't just take the parents at their point in time now and tell them that this is not a good thing to do because they <laughs> It doesn't work that way. Um, you have to get them outside and they have to learn by watching and by thinking about different things. They, most of them haven't been challenged to think a different way. <laughs> and, you know, the kids will catch on to it quickly. I have a trash brigade out there now, which is about three, I guess they're 10 to 12 year olds out there. And they'll say, Miss Lynn, we got the trash in the bag, <laughs> but, but their parents are going to keep throwing it out. So, you know, there has to be, uh, I, I, I don't know. It just, just drives me crazy. Now, now my kids know better um, because of what watched, how they, you know, you learn it, you learn what, what, what you see. And like right now, if you hear the background, I've got the daughter number one and her new husband are visiting. They're both outside every chance they can. He's a, he's a, he's a veteran. He's army. He, he belongs to all of the outdoor things that the veterans do. They canoe, they kayak. They're here to go out on the Island with me this week. And you know, my other daughter's car is a disaster because she won't throw anything out a car window. It would not occur to her to throw anything out a car window. So her car is a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what freaks me out is that I see all the things that are not recycled. They're supposed to be like you put them in and you find out that they don't get recycled. So I have these crazy boxes around my house of like lids and stuff. I'm afraid like straws. I'm afraid 
when I did, and now I don't like, I'm so conscious, like I don't want straws, but when I was have straws, I didn't want to throw the straws out because I was afraid of where they were going to end up. And in the back of my mind, from when I was younger, I'm like, well, one day, you know, I've got to get something that can grind all these up and yeah. can take the recycled and do right. something more, you know, I'm like, but I feel like I'm going to be this, oh my gosh, you're going to walk in the house and there's going to be like 20 boxes of stuff that's been there for 30 years. So look, I have you a know? funny story for you. When I, when my kids were at Central Elementary School, they, I ran the eco school program there um, after school. Um, and I, I funded a grant for them to have like a bunch of books and, and we would do the, we did a go green night one year and we had all these recycling opportunities for, so that parents and students could bring their like crazy things that usually can't be recycled in. And we would find a way to recycle them. And so I started collecting deodorant containers and toothpaste tubes at that point, because there was a program through, um, TerraCycle that took them. But mm-hmm. it was closed and you had to apply to like, when, when, an, when a spot opens, you can become a recycler and then you can send all your stuff in. So I was very hopeful that I was going to get to be a recycler for these things. And so I started collecting them. My kids are now in high school and that bag full of deodorant and toothpaste tubes is still hanging in my hall <laughs> on the doorknob. And I have been adding to it all these years. Like it's a big bag. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I'm still right. on a cycle recycler. And you know, you'll get stuck in purgatory if you just put it in the trash at this point. I know I can't do it. Like mentally, I just cannot throw it away. So I have a big bag of like empty toothpaste tubes. If anybody knows where I can recycle this, please let me know. (laughs) If if I felt like if we could put that urgency, you know, into the kids, they were always hearing on NPR and news, like how was recently, right? And that's what I was applying the book to, like how there's going to be no way to turn back from the path we're on if we don't act right now and now it might be even too late you hear that every day and i keep on feeling i keep on hearing that urgency there she is um i keep on hearing that urgency in this book as well so yeah i didn't bring the cat today sorry but we'll bring the cat so she can see it next time i mean i think that there's i mean there's just uh i wish there's a way that for the masses the urgency could be there just like the weirdness that I'm afraid to put something into the recycle bin, you know what I mean? And I don't know. So I don't get the, yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking art projects, you know, like take all those, those two toothpaste tubes and kind of solder them together to make a recycle bin or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. One of the things that I did when I moved down here that I noticed Delaware, because I live off of 13, is the very, as far as litter goes, a very dirty state. There's just litter all over. And some of it, a lot of it, I shouldn't say some of it, I think a big part of it is 13, because of the beaches, draws a lot of people from other states that don't have a vested interest in here. But there's also a lack of a public awareness, because all of these things, I mean, I recycle, and I laugh when you talk about the dirty cars, because I know that was one of the things I would say, well, someone with a dirty car, that's a good sign, someone who doesn't litter, all right? Mm-hmm. But there, there has to be a public awareness because these things even, um, you know, I recycle and it's the, the, the bottle caps and it's the, the pill bottles and it's all of these things. But unless you get it on a bigger scale, it's really not gonna make that much of a difference there has to be, and I don't hear Delaware as a state talking about it, the do not litter, the things that the 
public service things on the TV that you see that talks about the danger of litter. Because to your point, Harry, that litter doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You know, that styrofoam stays forever. And the plastic bags that they're finally getting rid of, that also, and the, the danger to the animals, the straws with turtles, the, mm-hmm. you know, the plastic bags that, you know, um, turtles, poor things, again, think of jellyfish, that strangulation. But if there's something, maybe even another campaign within the schools that they post about the litter starting in the early, I mean, having it at all levels of the schools, but starting it with the early grades and the, you know, the, um, I didn't say go to preschool, but um, early education, but at the mid, the elementary school and the middle school so that they grow up and they develop this. Other than that, you're just going to have these individual pockets like we are that do these little individual things that are really nice, you know, on the corner lots. But when you look at the bigger picture and, the, and that these things that they do litter that break down, that gets into the water, that makes it all the way down to the ocean, there, there has to be a bigger campaign and Delaware doesn't seem too focused on it. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that idea of the lack of community mindedness yeah, and the exactly. emphasis on individual rights and yeah. freedoms and uh, focus. Yeah. Um, if, if we can just build a community, certainly it would be helpful to start at the, with the very young because those habits become lifetime habits. Yeah. But I think there is still hope to, to address it not only with the very young, but with adults as well, to get to yeah. form that grassroots um, focus on on uh, nature and its importance and and environmentalism. I yeah. think uh, there's progress to be made. It's yeah. it's not hopeless, right? No, and I think you're right. And you probably yeah. look at the majority of the adults probably have that seed for it in it from the generations we came from. That seed is there. It just has to get watered and allowed to grow. Yeah. yeah. We need we need to evoke a paradigm shift throughout all the uh, generations because I, I see us focusing on the children in this conversation. And yet I also see so many people, not just developers, that are moving in, you know, move will move into uh, area of nature and our focus isn't on valuation of the nature that's there, it's on all right, well, I'm going to take this little piece and do what I want with it, and then we'll watch the nature elsewhere. You know, we live in we live kind of in the woods, and we, we watch we watch all around us um, people move in and cut everything down and put up lights and right and and yep. it's it's just a, it's it's this lack of this uh, yeah symbiotic relationship with the nature and the and humanity and the, and our kids watch that you know. Yeah, you're right. People forget that the moon lights up the way at night and they put all these lights out here in the acres. Can I can I just um, say good morning to my absolutely wonderful neighbors? <laughs> I send the idea. We miss you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know, right? We live we live three blocks from each other. Um, yeah, and you know, um, I get was it Elaine? Um, I, I'm not used to using my phone for Zoom. Um, uh, the lady who said something about the, you know, the, the plastic and stuff. When I was 
I was fortunate enough to go to Ghana, Africa a few years back. And the day we got, the day that we arrived in Accra um, at the art center, we, you know, we walked through and, um, you know, a very visible in your face what environmental degradation does to human beings who are compromised and living in poverty. But then when we got walked through and got down on the coastline of the Gulf of Guinea, I was stopped in my tracks because, you know, I, I'm an environmentalist. I know about the plastic and everything, but it absolutely stopped me in my tracks because there was an entire mountain in the little inlet area there of plastic bottles, mostly plastic water bottles. And I mean, like yards tall. And this is where the currents had brought all this stuff in and it's piled up there. And when you're standing face to face with it, 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 it's sort of like in the first two chapters of the book, when Richard points out that the youth have a global view of the pollution, but not an experiential view. You know, like they know that global warming is going on, but they don't know what that plastic bottle that they just threw down does. Um, that's just, that was just a stark, stark, you know, way to, to explain that. And it just, unless, I, and just in my own, my own world here, unless I can get these people out of their apartments and get them out into nature and have them see the effect, the cause and effect, it's not going to matter. They have to experience it. Take them out to coastal cleanup next yeah. month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I just them up to carry it back and pick up garbage. Excuse me, I have got to run, so I'm going to bow out. It was, um, thank you for inviting me to this. It was enlightening and I enjoyed the conversation and hopefully we're going to continue it. Yep. Thank you so much all. Thank you everybody Thank for you. coming in. Yep, we'll share this and then whatever we talk about tomorrow, we'll share that as well. So thanks a lot. And uh, that document will stay open so you can keep on adding things as we go along. So thank you very much. Bye, we're going to have to cut out. Yep, Goodbye. take care. Yep, all right. Thanks to everybody. I will Bye, everybody. It you, just, so. just occurred to me the background I'm looking at is every fiber. I'm thinking, what is that, that commercial door? <laughs> <laughs>